Okay, so uh, this is just, you know, it's a fairly big thing that's probably going to happen over the next 20 or 30 years. Um, and that's, uh, we're going to start seeing asteroid mining companies almost certainly get started. Uh, I think as far as I'm aware, there are already uh, somewhere around 10 companies in the world already seeking to do this. Um, most of them are actually based in Luxembourg. If I if I am uh, aware correctly, probably yeah. for tax reasons. Yeah, tax reasons. Also, because the I think the government in Luxembourg recognized it was a like they're a small government. It was very easy for them to uh, you know build a small framework to allow these companies to exist. Uh, and I'm I'm going to make the argument that Canada should really really get in on this. So I mean, how long term investment is this? Like, where's the technology at? Are we looking at like 40 years, 70 years before we actually get an asteroid back and get the raw materials from it down to Earth? My guess is within two decades, if I had to make an estimate. Uh, we're, we're, there's a number of things that have changed in the last 10 years and are we're seeing change into the next 10 years that are really like going to have... Falcon Heavy. Is exactly. that one of the things you have in mind? Where What did it bring down the cost of getting a pound into space by like an order of magnitude? Exactly. So you go from you know $10,000 a pound down to $1,000 a pound. Like that's, that's a significant change when it comes to trying to get things into space. And when you're trying to build up a system, like you need to get the bare minimum to get that system started. But once it's up and running, it potentially can start growing on its own. So you just have to get it far enough that it's feasible to do it and have you heard of a von neumann probe exactly then that's the it's class. one of the solutions to fermi's paradox is that advanced civilizations just make self-replicating robots that kill themselves yeah and, and then the other speculation is like one of the other mysteries is like why haven't they already taken over because by any reasonable measure they would spread through the galaxy so quickly and convert everything into other von neumann probes that there'd be nothing else exactly and it's like all you'd have to do is build one of these once and within a very short period of time on a galactic time scale like we're talking 100 million years you've you've got an entire galaxy of so tell me again why this is a good idea so the the basic logic comes down to is that we currently have very poor access to large numbers of elements uh, that exist on Earth. So we have rare earth uh, metals, we've got um, heavy metals. These are all metals that by the nature of the Earth formation, most of them have ended up in the core. Because um, they're so, heavy. Because they're heavy, simple as that. So like for example, uh, as a percentage of Earth, gold makes up about 1% of its mass. Uh, and if you could find a ore body that was 1% gold, you would be a very, very wealthy individual. So that's why the gold that we do have is like it came up in when magma like flows up or something. And isn't it related to, I don't know a lot about this, isn't it related to like asteroids and stuff too? That's actually, those are the two big things. So first of all, the really, like the vast majority of it uh, did sink right down to the center. Like it's an incredibly dense element. It was, is not something that actually remained even in the mantle to a very high degree. Um, so the, most of the gold, almost all the gold we have had to have come to earth, uh, after or like during the late heavy bombardment. So that's kind of during a period of time where you actually have a lot of asteroids landing on a hard surface on earth. So 
what like it's like and then it gets like sent up in like quartz is that what happens because like they find gold in quartz all the time yeah right so and so this is just it so what actually happens a lot of the gold is going to get recycled right so what happens you end up with a lot of uh the gold gets knocked off the surface as these as the uh, um as the craters erode you're going to end up with a lot of the resulting gold getting pushed into the ocean and, and then through the process of subduction where the tectonic plates slide over one another and yeah. the crust gets like eaten by the, yes. by the, by the, what am I trying to say? The uh, second layer. Yeah, exactly. By the mantle. So the mantle, the mantle. it'll end up right. going into the mantle. But the thing is, is during that period of time when it's sinking, there's a lot of water mixed into those top layers where all the sediment has been deposited. Right. And that actually is what forms volcanoes. It comes from that, that, uh, molten, uh, mix of rock and water and like so, kind of like a bubble when you're boiling water or something exactly and so and then that comes back up as the volcanic uh, as your volcanoes so that's why we most of the gold we get is from breakdown from those processes um and the other thing is literally from existing um uh craters so for example uh sudbury is a giant crater the, it, the city rests in about a 40 kilometer. No, it might be bigger than that. It might be a 60 mile crater. Um, so, you know, 80 kilometers across. It's been heavily mo- like modified, but it's like 1.6 billion years old. But where do you think all their nickel comes from? It was Oh, nickel- really? So it literally just fell out of space and now it's sitting relatively close to the surface. Exactly. Except it's been covered by like, you know, limestone, basically, probably. Oh, no. In, there's in, an ocean th- above it. Oh, no, well, is there no limestone up there? That's just it. It's, it's actually eroded. It just happens to be we're in an era where we've eroded back down to the layer. Right. That the uh, that the that formed originally when the crater impacted. So And so there have been probably times in the past when there has been a lot of uh, limestone above it. But right now, it's all been, all that limestone was carried away. So you're, you're left right. with just what's left. So, you know, the logic basically comes down to is like, well, if we're basically mining exploded refuse from asteroids. Why don't we just go after the good stuff? And then get the, grab one. So what, we send up a Bruce Willis with like a bunch of nuclear bombs to like blow it towards Earth? Like how do you move it? So, and that, that's kind of a fun fun task because there's a couple of different solutions. One is actually you, you land a probe on it uh, that has a with like a, a rocket on it is that one idea yeah well you don't need a very big rocket in fact ideally you want to use a type of rocket that doesn't uh use much fuel or much reaction mass right so it might be something like a uh uh you know uh, what's the name for it? it's like an ion drive is what they call them very very right. low impulse but it gives you very slow steady movement uh the so other- let me get this straight you want to you want to take an asteroid mm-hmm and you want to put an engine on it, and you want to change its trajectory so it comes closer to Earth. Yes. I, I, it doesn't have to be super close to Earth. It just has to be close enough. That sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> it's, a, it's a potentially... And you want to do this with self-replicating machines. Uh, n- not exactly self-replicating machines. You're still going to have to have inputs, and you're probably going to have to have a few people there to maintain the things. because On the don't... asteroids? You're oh, going to yeah. have mechanics up on the asteroids? You you almost certainly have mechanics on the asteroids. It won't be a large number of people, but there'll be a few. How do you get that job? <laughs> exactly. Go to school. <laughs> yeah. Be, be very, very good at, uh, at robotics and being able to troubleshoot things. Also probably like fitness and yeah. f- flying fighter jets. 
be yeah be be an astronaut is <laughs> basically what it comes down to uh and seeing as we have lots of people willing to do that job i don't think it'll be very hard to find anybody willing to go up there um but basically and the thing is is that if you actually find these asteroids sometimes are really ideal for mining because uh we have there's three different types uh, main types of asteroids you got your silicate asteroids which are like made of rock you've got your carbonaceous asteroids which are basically carbon based and then you have your metallaceous so metal asteroids and the metal asteroids basically have had their exterior blown off uh through an impact with another with another asteroid and you're left with just what was the core of the of the asteroid left and so it's almost entirely metal which um, is the good stuff that's like that's what we're going because okay i don't know a lot about the periodic table but there's like a whole like a like one color of squares on it are like the metals yes uh the, so you've got your uh actinides your lanthanides uh which are all your rare earth metals which you they, already you already left me behind yeah so they're, they're they're the two boxes that you're talking about the ones that are like in the center of the yeah yeah are those and metals yeah and what is a metal a, a metal basically is just it's it defines the way the chemistry works uh for a uh for an element so a metal always donates uh, its electrons. Okay. So okay. when you're talking about that. when you're talking about reactions, it's gonna give away electrons. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. And, and those are those are useful for chemistry and for material science. Oh, absolutely. And, and for and for things like uh, catalysts. Yeah. Jeez. For for yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if you're which trying like speeds to... up reactions, like if you're making say a fuel cell, just up just pick that out of the air. Yeah, fuel cell is a perfect car. example. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other one is if you want to sequester a lot of CO two, it's a lot easier if you have access to a lot of these metals. Um, so f- my favorite that's example. That's just your heteropatriarchal response to climate change: is to build a giant <laughs> fucking rocket, and set it out in space, <laughs> and then bring home stuff that we can use to fix the problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, so the, my favorite example in all that is, uh, as an element, is platinum. So platinum currently, its current value is $30 a gram. Wow. Yeah. So. What is yeah. that per ounce? Uh, I'm not a very, I haven't spent why, why, why don't we just go. What's conversion? It's easier to go by kilogram. So if you got a kilogram. Well, I, of it, I just know because I'm trying to compare it to gold. Yeah. So it's about twice as expensive as gold. Okay. Okay. Two to three times. Um, so you're looking at $30,000 a kilo. Uh, Holy smokes. $30 million a ton. So when you start doing the math on this, it's like, okay, so you could probably construct a spaceship to come land 100 tons of platinum back on Earth fairly easily. Uh, And that 100 tons would be worth $3 billion. Okay, the spaceship. Yeah. Like, how are we landing this platinum on Earth that we've directly... So we've taken a giant asteroid. Yeah, we put a we put an engine on it. We put a rocket on it. Yeah, and now we're shooting it towards Earth. Well, not towards um, Earth, near Earth. Okay, yeah, but like more towards Earth than it was going to go before. And now mm-hmm. it's hurtling towards the planet. Yeah, and now we have to get platinum or whatever rare Earth element off of it and get it into a spaceship and down to Earth. Yeah, how does that spaceship like land? Like, is it going to be like Apollo thirteen, where it, like it has like a heat shield and a parachute? That's almost exact, almost certainly what they will do because it's the cheapest thing to construct. Also, you don't really want to have to have something that you have to launch back up again, especially once you once you have the materials in space that you're accessing and building with. 
it's you're, you're, probably easy to get them down. Exactly. It's a lot easier to bring stuff down through the atmosphere than it is to, you know, launch it out of it. Um, going down into a gravity well is always easier than leaving it. Um, right. So once, and, and my argument for why Canada should get into this is that we already have a fair, we have excellent uh, mining uh, regulations in terms of like a framework for, to operate within. And we have a standard tax model. We have everything that the mining industry currently needs. And if you look around the world, most of the big miners have uh, settled in Canada as their home home bases. Um, so one, we've so got my paychecks. <laughs> yeah, well, and this is just it. So if you if you if the if the the first the one of the, I heard a really good quote from uh, somebody, and they're basically they're lot they're, they said the the first trillionaire. There's a good chance the first trillionaire will be a asteroid mining baron named Jeff Bezos. Yeah, potentially. He's, he's trying. He's getting into the he's got blue origins. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is but this is the sort of thing like it's like whoever figures out how to do this first is going to be making a stupid amount of money. So, if you want those jobs to that are associated with that to be in your country or even just the tax paid to be in your country, it's a good idea. Um, so, my my issue with with I just have a small issue with the economics of what you're saying. So, like you're granting that platinum is worth thirty dollars a gram, mm-hmm. but the way that supply and demand works, if you flood a massive amount of platinum into oh, yes. the market, the price will drop. Yeah, just like the the price of silver after the Spanish um, conquered like the Incan Empire and stole all their gold, like there was a recession in Europe. Oh yeah. Because there's the inflationary the inflationary pressure of all that gold. Yeah, absolutely. So what's to say that the exact same thing won't happen if we bring back all these minerals to Earth? Oh well, it, and it will crash the price. That's almost a guarantee. Um, but the whole thing is, is that there's obviously going to be an economic expense to going out and doing this, right? So there's going to be a minimum price that will be reached. Uh, as far as like what it's going to cost, like there's going to be a cost to setting up this system, getting it all running. There's going to be interest costs and all of that. So once you bring it back, you have to make a profit. So you're going to price it above that number. And they'll probably operate more or less like De Beers does. Yeah, like exactly. De Beers, I, I don't fully understand this or this years ago, but don't they, they control something like 90% of the diamond mines on Earth? At one point and they did, yeah. They're, they're incredibly common, but they just restrict the supply to keep it artificially, the price artificially high. Exactly. Um, and the thing is, all you have to do is beat what it costs to mine on earth right and the current that so that's when i say like it's 30 dollars a gram well if you can supply for 15 dollars a gram and you can charge 20 you you basically you have no limit on how much money you can make until until you the the demand is you know balanced out and the thing is once these systems are up in place you could potentially see it falling a lot lower than that um okay so this asteroid yeah, they've changed the trajectory of this asteroid, so it's coming towards Earth. Is it going to make like a? They're going to have to calculate how much platinum they want to bring down from this asteroid as it makes its pass by Earth before their orbits intersect, or are they going to put it in like geosynchronous orbit where it's like spinning around? And those are two uh, very legitimate ways of doing it. And both, I from what I've read about uh, the companies planning on doing this, is that some of them are going for throwing it into geosynchronous orbit. Uh, for various reasons, and, and they can then, milk it. 
yeah, exactly. It's much easier to get to, much easier, uh, and you don't have to have regular. Well, you can just play the market. Like yeah. whenever the price of platinum goes high, you can bring down a bunch of platinum. Yeah, versus if you're maybe there's only a close close pass every three or four years for another one, then you know it's it's a little harder to do that. Um, so yeah, and that's so so both both tactics have been looked at, and the thing is, it basically comes down to cost. It's like is the is the amount of effort it takes to slow down and control and put into orbit one of these things, is that more expensive than the benefits you get from doing that? Um, yeah. So, and, and that's the thing. So going forward, that's where, that's what these companies are planning on doing. And I, and I think with SpaceX dropping the price of, uh, of getting into space so much, it's only a matter of time until this starts happening. And in and fact, so, I think it's going to be quite soon. How do two fellows like yourself and I decide that this is a good idea and then pressure actually make it happen? You know, like, do you want to start an asteroid mining company? <laughs> I, I don't I don't have any money. Well, and then this is kind of part of the problem is that you, you to really get one of these going, you need a lot of high end, very educated individuals all you know, working on the same company, trying to make this happen. And then they probably have to have... who are better at calculus than I am. Yeah, exactly. And not only that, but they, you've got to have the financial system in place to supply them with enough money to make this happen. Right. So do you think there's a role for the federal government to, to make this, to step in and like make it happen? Uh, I, from, from a perspective, I would say that the federal government should make an effort to basically make it really easy for a company to locate here and do business here if they want to do asteroid mining. It's 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 just a lot of sometimes it's just setting the rules in place saying this is what you'll be entitled to if you bring this stuff back. This is the taxes you're going to have to pay. These are the ones that you're not going to have to pay. Here are the supports you're going to have. As long as you have everything laid out, you reduce the risk to the business. They know so, exactly what they're going to get. Just to keep on bringing it back to like the action point. Do you, do you start a campaign to start talking to members of parliament and bring this idea up? That's not a bad idea, to be honest. It, it's it, A lot of it's just regulatory framework stuff, in that, which we already have to a fairly large degree. So it's just it's just converting, it's getting getting it on the topic, getting the topic on the lips of the right people, right? So And that's mostly, like, I am a big proponent of just writing your MPs. Yeah. Like, it happens, every time I write my MP, a an email or something they always respond or their staffer responds and pretends to be the mp yeah it's hard to know which is true but regardless like that information gets through you know mm-hmm. and especially I, if it's well reasoned exactly and I, and I think this is one of those things where it's not something that the that an mp is going to think about but when it's brought to their attention they go huh maybe that isn't a bad idea right and especially like it's one of those things where the federal government doesn't actually have to put a huge amount of money up or anything it's just literally no. just making the rules clear and well defined and settled and then letting 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 the private sector run with it well because aren't they like they're building a spaceport in i think Canso north of Halifax yeah uh, i i don't know much about that you're 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 a little closer to that end of things than i am so what what yeah. do you know about it i don't know a whole lot i just know that they're building a spaceport like whatever, two hours north of Halifax or an hour and a half out of Halifax. Hmm, cool. Um, it's not. I don't know why. Like, yeah, I it, don't know what industries are thinking of like getting into, or I don't even know why it would be a particularly good place to have a spaceport. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I imagine for landing, it probably wouldn't be bad. Uh, the issue is like when you when you want to like take off, you want to be closer to the equator because uh, 
you're you're trying to launch in the same direction as the earth is spinning right to it's minimize like shot yeah exactly minimize your your launch costs and the closer you are to the equator the cheaper they are um which is precisely why cape canaveral is in florida as the you know as far south as the americans could get it without after their failed invasion of cuba exactly <laughs> so i mean if canada really really wanted to get into this and like it, like i'm not just saying like oh no we're not just gonna you know set up a you know we're not just gonna set up a regulatory regime we're going the full nine yards uh my suggestion would actually be take uh take on Kirk, turks and caicos which, yeah which has been around for a long time but i mean if there was actually to find reason for it you know there are big parts of that those islands that are you know uh, undeveloped in any way. Um, the other thing is, is that is in terms of like trying to land these, uh, like trying to land stuff, um, Canada does have some advantages. What you're really looking for is if you want to like maximum efficiency, you need a giant plane uh, with roads crisscrossing it. So you're talking, you just described, well, it, it, there's no roads crisscrossing none of it, but you basically just described it. Exactly. And I'm not sure how many people in Saskatchewan are going to be keen start throwing asteroids down at farmland <laughs> uh i wouldn't i wouldn't be aiming at the farmlands i'm saying you you want to you want to find an area that wasn't wasn't actively farmed <laughs> oh there are vast vast regions in nunavut uh, like that. that are just empty yeah and that would might be a perfect spot to see and you just you cross out the lines and you, you know like, where the thing lands really and... it just boggles the mind like when you think like most most communities in nunavut are on the coast mm -hmm. except for maybe baker lake and then like west and south of baker lake it's just it's just empty like it, it's it's mind-blowing yeah anyway, and for like a thousand it's a perfect place to throw an asteroid yeah for sure or well it's not even asteroids literally landing big spaceships sure sure are... it's a perfect place to to land a spaceship with goods yeah, yeah that you're not worried about damaging them particularly like if they hit a little yeah. hard or they you know things don't go perfectly it doesn't matter you're still going to be able to find it and you're not going to hit somebody's house exactly if <laughs> things go wrong that's kind of the whole idea and you also you don't want to be in a situation where oh like we've landed in the ocean and there was a problem and now our hundred tons of platinum is on the ocean bottom it's like we're gonna go get it but it's just like it's expensive and unnecessary <laughs> Um, Canada, is there anything else you want to say about asteroid mining? Uh, I mean, it's just, it's going to be a really interesting thing to have that happens over. Like, and it's cool because it's going to happen in my lifetime. Uh, and I'm just curious. I really want to see where this all ends up. It, it's really cool what a lot of the companies in the States are doing right now. And it'd be nice for and, Canada and to get people, into it. People have agency. Yeah. So pressure your elected representatives to create the regulatory framework to make it worthwhile. Exactly. Um, the only other thing I was going to add is that Canada's in a good spot because it, as I said, this is going to involve a lot of robotics. Um, what does Canada have? We the Canadarm. That's our whole thing. Our whole our whole space industry is built around robotics right now. Like that's what our space industry does. So it doesn't really make any sense to send up a bag of meat. Not to do anything in space anyway. Not really. Not if you can avoid it. I mean, there's going to be certain situations where you know people have agency that machines don't. But as long as you can yet. I mean, we're talking about a 30-year time scale. Yeah, uh, that's another discussion for another time, I think. <laughs> when you start talking about whether uh, machines will have true agency in the next 20 years, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, but, I mean, it's okay, like, it's okay to have an eight-minute lag. Yeah, nothing's going to happen on that asteroid that it can't wait 16 minutes for a human being to do something about. That's true. Which is an AU, right? Like, how far away are these asteroids? Uh, sometimes they can be pretty far. Um, they can be out past 
Mars. Is there like a massive asteroid belt between Jupiter and Mars? Yeah. So that's kind of what you're talking about. How many AU away is that? Well, it depends if they're on the far side of the AU, sun. AU, which is, I'm just saying that like everybody knows what it it's is. The it's the distance between, between the Earth and the sun. Yeah. So uh, if they're on the far side, it can be up to two or three AU. Okay. Well, which is like four, 21 actually. minutes. 20 minutes. 20, so. Yeah, 20 minutes, half an hour. I mean, like when you're talking about trying to like contact Mars, it gets as short as like seven minutes and as long as like half an hour sort of thing. So that's that's the sort of time frames you're, you're thinking about. Um, I mean, there's some other uh, interesting uh, orbits that exist as well that are uh, that approach Earth on a regular basis but are fairly stable. And there's actually a few there's a few uh, asteroids already existent in them. And they basically it, it's it's when it's a, it's it, it co-rotates with Earth, so it's ahead of us. And, and those sound like ones that are would be very good to have you know, a handle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you'd think, but they're in stable orbit. So they're actually never going to hit us. Right. Right. But it's interesting because like when it's ahead of us, the earth adds energy to it. So it gets faster and faster and then speeds away from us. And then when it catches up to us on the other side, it gets energy sucked out of it. And then it, and then it slows down and then it goes back in front of us again. So it just, it, they, they, did you ever, they, did you ever look much into this? I mean, cause this is the kind of side discussion about asteroid mining a side benefit is that it makes it less likely that we're all going to get killed by a giant asteroid or comet. yeah because we'll know where we'll have mined everyone and we'll know we'll know how to manipulate that that too Um, and we'll have did you ever look much into the like the like randall carlson like like or no i'm trying to say uh graham hancock uh kind of theories about like the torrids and like the different like filaments of the towards that the earth passes through as it's as its orbit around the sun wobbles up and down mm. i don't believe it necessarily i just find it super fascinating like he has a couple long podcasts with joe rogan about it hmm. i i don't i don't know much about that to be honest i, I imagine okay, yeah. there, there are definitely going to be eras where the earth is more or less likely to be struck by a asteroid just because of its orbital tilt but you right, know. he's the guy that's that argues that the Earth was likely hit by an asteroid to end the ice ages, to end the Pleistocene. Yeah, and that evidence of that is found uh, in like the oral tradition of peoples all around the world. Which is which um, is interesting because they did just find the Greenland, uh, well, crater. A bit of an impact crater that that fits into that hole. Not to say it necessarily proves it. Well, um, no, and, because... and, and he talks about this is kind of a tangent. He also talks about how like sea levels have risen by 400 feet and they wrote, they rose by 400 feet fast in the geological yeah. record when Plato said that um, Atlantis was destroyed coincides with this massive 400 foot sea level rise. Anyway, it's just kind of, it's kind of an interesting yeah. rabbit. Yeah, I, I mean, it's an interesting point of view. Uh, I'm, I'm literally, I'm waiting on when that Greenland, um, uh, when they've got, like they're going and setting up, to get cores and whatnot to actually like date this thing accurately oh so this is gonna happen soon oh yeah i mean like the next two or three years we're gonna have we're gonna know when that thing struck and they already know they've already got like the the end end dates right like they know it hit it could not have happened earlier than two million years ago and it could not have happened more recently than about eleven thousand. so like it's it is a possibility it could hit the eleven thousand mark and then that would that would lend a lot of credence to that Oh, absolutely. And the thing is, is that these, despite the size of this crater, it's remarkably uneroded considering it's had a glacier in it for, you know, at least 10,000 years. Yeah. So if it was, so there, there is hints that it is relatively young, 
which is interesting. So we'll see. I'm, I'm very curious to see the results from uh, from this crater uh, when so, they've actually got more more information. How high tech do you think a society could have been that we would just have no idea it existed? Uh, you could totally have something kind of... Um, like, get like a year. Throw me a year in Britain. Okay, so you're. it would have to be pre-industrial. Because as soon as you start getting into industrialization, you're going to start seeing... I things. don't know, man. I buy you on like massive industrialization, and I buy it on like massive use of fossil fuels. Yeah. Um, of course, I buy it on plastic, but I don't. I think you could be pretty industrial. Like you could be like the Roman Empire at a site was fairly quote unquote industrialized. Oh, I mean, you very easily could have a uh, yeah, absolutely. I'd say up to about fifteen hundred, you could totally have something. Oh, I don't even up. know. I think up to like I think even sixteen or seventeen hundred. After you could... I would say after the lifetime of James Watt, like you'd have to. I would say eighteen fifty. Really, you go that late? Yeah, because. Well, think about the impact on the climate. Like, think about the carbon impact of society in 1850. Not that much, yeah. It was was real. Like, you would have been able to see a bump. And we can see a little inexplicable bump. Inexplicable if you don't know what happened in those times. You know, you could, like, the Roman Civil Wars. You can can see that on the climate record. You can see that in the Greenland Ice Show. But you have to know what you're looking at. Yeah, that's true. And so... And so well, we could look at we could look back and we could see like ups and downs and not know what we're looking at. And there could be there have been anatomically modern humans for three hundred or four hundred thousand years or three hundred or five hundred thousand years, right? It's not clear. Yeah. Um and it's you know, I, I find it totally believable that there could have been the lost. The, well, and the issue the issue always comes down to is like population density, right? To get these advanced civilizations you need population density. Um and oh, you know the thing about density is it, it doesn't just stay in the valleys close to the ocean. It's going to start moving everywhere to a certain degree. I don't know. I don't. Okay. But like, think about like Roman times, like population, the human population was stable at about a billion until the year like 1800 or something like that. Those are rough numbers, but I'm pretty, um, um, I'm actually going to review that. I'm kind of curious. You, yeah, you should. I mean, it might've been 2 billion. No, it was 1 billion at, at 1800. And like in Roman times, it was like 500. Million. I think, yeah, I think you're about um, right on that. Um, so, yeah, so I've, I've got the population figures right here. Um, so around AD 1, the population was, it looks to be about somewhere between 150 and 250 million. That sounds low, but um, okay. Uh, no, but then it, it steadily increases slowly. Uh, by 1000 AD, it's Cause like, like cause 300 like you million, think 400 million. How are they counting that? Well, this, these are estimated population figures. Yeah, totally. Right? there's a massive massive range that that could have actually been. yeah mind you there, there were like significant there were significant large numbers of people dying in these eras as well right like you have Genghis Khan go into China and kill a quarter of the population right 100 or million more. is uh, yeah. to, from Genghis Khan to Kubla they say yeah yeah just stupid number of people especially when you're considering a population of the planet at that time was not stupidly high yeah so what is that um, it was probably like 20% 30% of the population of earth yeah, That's hard to believe. I'm not sure I buy that entirely either. Mind you, when you hear the reports of, you know, skulls being piled into small mountains. And yeah. it's like, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, you, I mean, that's anecdotal. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Games come with asshole. Yeah, and then and then you've got the, uh, what happened in North America when Columbus arrived. That, uh, that that's going to get a lot of questions for me, too. I don't buy the high end. But, like, people will estimate that there were popular, like, Native populations of 100 million. That, that yeah, seems um, impossible to me. 
that that seems a little high. I I mean the the I was reading a study actually just the other day. I was looking into it. Uh, the they've done a genetic uh, regression to see uh, about like how much the population yeah how much the population narrowed, and they they had about fifty percent of females dying right around fifteen hundred to sixteen hundred. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. The but they'll they'll throw numbers out like ninety. Yeah, which is well, it, again, it depends. Like, there's going to be certain areas where it might be ninety, but it's not going to be everywhere. Again, this is the thing. Like, you, you go into your densely populated city states in Central America, like the Aztecs. Yeah, you you might approach eighty nine percent, but there's going to be a lot of people living out in small villages in the middle of nowhere that are not going to be affected in quite the same way. I would be shocked if the population if aboriginal populations in canada didn't increase after contact i would be shocked um if you look at the technology that was brought to indigenous people in canada by french traders like kettles and firearms it made a pretty big difference when you're living in a northern climate it it, i mean it's easy for someone in a city or a university to not understand the importance of a kettle yeah um but like when you're when you're living off the land the ability to boil starches in roots like to take a cattail root and to boil it into something that you can actually eat. Yeah, makes that's huge. Yeah. It's huge. That's that's. It yeah. used to be somebody's job to boil water, <laughs> because you had no other options. That that was that was the that was like yeah somebody's permanent job. Well, and you also hear about like even in in uh, historically even in Europe you had uh, continuous soups. You never took them off the yeah you never took yeah them off absolutely. The they just keep the soup going all the time. Like it was somebody's job on the hearth, and these are people who had iron. Yeah. Right, like God, like God knows what it was like before they had iron. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like it was like pottery. No, before pottery natural helpful, gas, people just kept. Yeah, but but there's limits, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. No, I, I was reading another interesting thing. Do you know much about the Thule migration? Thule, uh, no. Well, it, it's a series of migrations uh, by people that uh, became and or mixed with the Canadian Inuit. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's hard because like the Inuit wrap around the Arctic Circle, right? And so there's not like firm boundaries of like here's Siberia and here's Canada. Right. Because they were, in, and the, they were interchanging. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the last big migration happened for speaking of Genghis Khan. Some people think it was in response to iron shortages caused by Genghis Khan's conquests. <laughs> and so people in Siberia, I, I'm, I'm using Siberia used loosely because I don't know Russian geography. People from Asia came across in the year like 1400, um, no, well, I mean, Genghis Khan was one in the 1350s. Yeah. Um, but shortly thereafter. Looking for iron. And they brought Mongol bows, like big 140 pound draw Mongol recurve bows <laughs> to the Canadian Arctic. Yeah. Anyway, it, it is very interesting, though, like how, how all these, like, historically, there was a lot of stuff that happened that was late technologies getting brought over at various times. Like, you know, I, you start talking about, like, early contacts with natives, like, you, you, what do you think about the Viking contact? What do you mean? Like what? Because uh, I mean, I know about it. They, well, no, because like they reported there being a bunch of natives. Screlings. Screlings. Who like who are these individuals? The Inuit. Well, and they came later. They. they... The Screlings actually. Again, this is because what year are we talking? It's like nine hundred, a thousand, roughly AD. the right. the Greenland, the Greenland Norse. Yeah, I mean, the best money is that they killed all the Greenland Norse, that the Inuit came, and there was conflict between them, and they outcompeted and killed them all, or or absolved them all into their tribes. I mean, there's a super common phenomenon of Europeans coming from yeah, Europe and, in that period and, and living, like, 
the attrition rate of people who were like, fuck this, I want to go live with the natives was very, very high. Yeah. And not only that, but like there were like, for example, in the mid 18th century, when there were all these wars between European powers and, and colonists and like the native people, many uh, native groups would raid European settlements to replace losses that they sustained in war. Mm-hmm. And they would kill, like they would go to a village, like a farming village, they'd kill all the old people. They would take young people as captives. And then after two or three years as captives, if they were rescued by European soldiers, they, go back. they would refuse to reassimilate into European society and would want to stay rather than the people and the culture that they grew up in. They would prefer to live the indigenous lifestyle. Which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's very it's a very fascinating era and I It's a send it's, it's a send up of what like European cultural norms of the 1700s. We're pretty <laughs> fucking shit is basically what it came down to. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like there I was actually uh, a fellow in my town uh, David Yates. He he wrote he he's got a book of all like these historical stories that happened in Huron County. Oh, cool. And uh one of them is about this guy who, the French guy, and he went over and assimilated with the natives, and he eventually, after twenty years, got killed and eaten. Uh, okay, what did the what? Okay, killed by uh, the, the, Huron? the Huron. Killed yeah. by. Okay, why did they kill? Uh, no one's really sure. No one wrote down the answer. Uh, Slept with somebody's wife. Probably. Possibly. Apparently, he was very good with the native women. Well, there you go. That's probably that's <laughs> definitely exactly what killed. happened. There's no question anymore. <laughs> Um, or he pissed off the natives by trading with their enemies at times or something like that. Anyway, it was, it was kind of interesting, but uh, that seems, uh, that seems super unlikely. Like if you were living with a tribe of people and they had like an enemy tribe, especially if you're already an outsider, you're not going to go trade with that tribe. Well, apparently that's, that's apparently you know. that's what this guy did. So, well, okay. Well then it totally explains why he got And killed. eventually it may have gotten back to them. That's basically what happened. Yeah. Um, but some of the other interesting things, like even in Huron County, like I didn't know this, but the, the, the native group that actually held Huron County and most of southwestern Ontario uh, got completely wiped out by competing powers. The destruction of the Hurons, it's famous. Yeah. And uh, there was, so this whole area was like hunting grounds for a group of people who didn't even was live Was it here. the, I think it was a Mohawk. Yeah. They came, they came in. Uh, and, I don't know if it was a Mohawk, but I know it was an Iroquois. It was an yeah. Iroquois. An Iroquois, Iroquois tribe. Mm-hmm. And yeah, came in and just killed everybody. And the, well, that's that, that's a bit of an exaggeration. They fled. They fled to uh, the north, Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota yeah. and uh, Michigan, Ontario. if I remember correctly. But yeah. yeah, but so basically, there was nobody here for like a hundred years before the Europeans even started settling it, which is kind of interesting. Like it's like, yeah, they I, the, the the Mohawk used it as a hunting ground, but it wasn't really. They didn't live here on a regular basis, which is kind of interesting. Did the Huron were the Huron agriculturalists? Uh, they grew the Huron up. were, but they they weren't they weren't in this area. They were actually up near. Um, I mean, in I mean, in sixteen hundred, I read a bit of that book. There's a there was a missionary that was living with them at the time of their destruction, mm-hmm. but I can't remember. I can't remember if they were predominantly horticulturalists because there's actually a very well established like horticultural um, system in what's now like the Great Lakes region and the Mississippi River Delta. Mm-hmm. Sorry, the Mississippi River Valley, rather, of the United States. Yeah, uh, um, there were... So some some areas were, some areas weren't. Um, so the Huron, as a group, were more up towards Midland. Uh, so Barrie, that sort of area. 
Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the the group that was here, the, and I think the Huron were actually a mix. They, they did a fair bit of agricultural. The group that was in Huron County. Right, okay, that makes sense. But the group, the group that was in Huron County, I, they were like they started with an S, the Sandawandan or something. Okay. Uh, they, 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 they were literally they standed for the neutral people because they didn't, they didn't. The Huron and the Iroquois were in constant uh, battles, and this this groups kind of stayed out of it. Right. But they, they did not, uh, they didn't stay stationary. They kept, they moved around a lot more. That era, my God, there was so much stuff happening, and like, and so little of it was written down. And it's just like you're trying to like I, I can imagine the historians must be like it must be amazing to go through it because like any bit of information you find is like potentially. Completely it's new. it's good fun reading. Like if you ever want to pick up a book because like pick up the primary sources. They're great. Yeah, mm. it was a fascinating time. Yeah, man, they have I've seen photos when I when I was studying a bit of history, Canadian history and some of the textbooks. They had these photos of duck decoys. They made 8000 yeah. years ago. Mallard decoys. Mm-hmm. They're amazing. Yeah. Yeah, De- they details use decoys, anything. they use calls, they, yeah. Oh, anything to make it easier, right? Yeah. Um, well, you gotta, really. I mean, like, if you're constantly hunting ducks, they're gonna learn that if you don't swim beside, like, the big ape that's standing at the side of the creek, <laughs> <laughs> you know? He'll get you. Yeah, I mean, so instead they hid in the in the water and the mud and, like, waited for it to swim up. One other interesting thing I was reading recently, I think it was in the same book, uh, so they've, uh, Lake Huron, in the middle of the lake, there was a land bridge. Okay, I'm trying to visualize that from like Saginaw to Goderich. Uh, is that what I'm seeing? No, no, it's far, further north. It came off uh, Port Albert, so the the point between Goderich and Kincardine. Okay, where it like where it like comes to an angle. Yeah, and it headed off on a northwest tangent. Northwest like tangent. So did it end at like at Mackinac? Like where are we going? Uh, south, so south it was Mackinac, probably just like just like there's that one that separates Georgian Bay that kind of that looks like that used to be a land bridge. Yeah, very so, very similar. So there were yeah. just like two. And yeah, uh, and uh, it's interesting because they've identified because it got flooded, they identify caribou runs. Oh, cool. Yeah. So like there's there's these like what years? Couple like, hundred. What, how long ago is this? You say I lost it. Eight eight to ten thousand years. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. That yeah. Makes sense. But yeah, so like, and they they find these like winding trails that are like you know, a couple hundred meters long, rocks built along the sides, but they're twisting so they can't see, and then like clearly like spots to hide behind rocks so the caribou can't see you. Yeah, yeah. And then you just like load them full of arrows. Anyway, it's it's really cool. They've identified these things as being back in that era. Oh, neat, neat underwater. Underwater, yeah. There's whole underwater forests up there. That have been sunk. That's true. And in fact, in fact, the the wood is quite valuable. Because like we think about, this is one of the things that Graham Hancock, which is what eventually you know ultimately got us on this from uh, asteroids, uh, <laughs> helped me think about is like what does it mean that there was a four hundred foot sea level rise? Because yeah. like I used to think, oh yeah, all of what is now Canada was covered in ice, but what is now covered in ocean used to be land. Yeah. Exactly. Like that's, and people lived there. They had to have. Um, and yeah, I mean, and all of these changed. All of these theories and all these numbers we have don't take into account what's buried underwater, which, yeah, like what's Because now, we haven't done a lot of searching, well, which we really should. And what we now have access to used to be ice. You know, it's been ice again and again and again and again. So when we look past the ice ages and we see nothing, like, mm-hmm. of course we see nothing. There were giant kilometers of ice that pushed everything south. 
Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, you would have nothing from certain eras. They just wouldn't. Don't have, we, we have certain yeah. eras. Yeah. You know, from so, like most, the vast majority of the 500,000 years there have been anatomically modern humans, we have nothing. Yeah, from very large areas. And the funny thing is, like, this isn't even the first time where we have geologic history just like completely missing. Yeah. Um, there's something called the Great Unconformity. And so... Basically, we're missing the geologic record between 1.7 billion years ago and 500 million years ago. Oh, wow. That's like not a small amount of time. And that's not an inc- inconsequential no. amount of time because it's when all, like a no. lot of evolution was occurring. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. Because you literally go from single cell organisms to the Cambrian explosion. And we have nothing in between. We got nothing. And they think it's exactly what's happening right now is that it was a snowball earth era. So you end up with glaciers everywhere that just chewed up everything down like and just massive amounts of rock ended up in the ocean in fact this is part of the reason why gold and platinum and all these heavy metals are hard to find because at a certain point lost earth lost all its craters oh well those craters disappeared and so we gotta guess where the craters were which is a fool's right exactly and so the thing is is like you look at this era it's like this is a 700 there's 700 million years worth of deposition missing so whether there was like whether there was a ice age that just lasted 200 million years, which may very well have been the case. But if that, like, you're tearing the entire top layers off every continent. They, they are looking at it and they're saying, well, we estimate we lost something like three kilometers of deposition from the continents at the time. Like three kilometers of yeah, vertical yeah, that's deposition. That's like, wild. that's... That's like a huge amount, and they and they can even like and there's and some of the other evidence that they, they the few spots they had been able to find, they're looking at it and they're going like, oh, we can see that there was a massive increase in the amount of sediment being deposited in the oceans, you know, like there was a change, and it's like, so where where did all the heavy metals go? Well, most of them ended up in the bloody oceans and then subducted away because it happened 500 million years ago. It's gone. Like none, none of the ocean floor is older than about, you know, 200 million years. So anything, anything that ends up down there is gone. It's lost. Well, if it's older than, if it's older than 200 million years. I feel like we're coming up on a good period of time for uh, one episode of this podcast. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we could even technically break it into two parts. We've been, but... we've been, we've been rambling for a bit, so. I'm really enjoying it. But... I think we should just say uh, that was, uh, that was asteroid mining. And, uh, and then we talked about North America for a while. Yeah, I was asteroid mining, and we kind of came full circle. We kind of came full circle because now we're discussing uh, how why 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 is the Earth lacking in metal in the first place? <laughs> okay.